So my question for today is, how much are you worth? And what do you use to determine your worth? Is your worth based on the balances of your financial accounts? Is it based on the home you have or the cars you have? Is it based on the number of friends you have or the type of friends you have? Is it based on your titles or your degrees? Is it based on how much you serve humanity? We're not meant to judge. We're told frequently in the scriptures that we're not supposed to judge, but the reality of life is that we do compare. And in my lifetime, there has definitely been this sense from the society that there was a standard to which one was to attain. We used to call it keeping up with the Joneses. I'm not sure where the Joneses are anymore, but there was this sense that if you weren't keeping up with the Joneses, then you were doing something wrong. And we never even considered that there might be systems in place that prevent people from keeping up with the Joneses, or at least certain people. That was not in our understanding, but it was present. And I only say that to you today because I want to name that it's real. That I think we as humans have a hard time not comparing ourselves. But we have to be careful when we get caught up in the jealousy of it. So our first scripture today was from Job. Getting a little bit more of Job, right? So Job, by those standards of keeping up with the Joneses, was doing better than average. Job was well off. He had a big family. He had servants. He had livestock. He had wealth. And even according to God, in the very first verses of Job's book, even God thinks Job's doing it right. God names that Job is righteous because he continues to worship God and be grateful to God. Give God his thanksgiving and praise until it all is taken away. And then for the last 35 chapters, we have listened to Job's friends tell him how it's his, what his condition is his fault, what he's done wrong, how he should change his life and his ways and come back to God. And we have heard Job's complaint. Job has railed against God and the condition of his life at this point. And now in the 38th chapter, God responds. And this is God's response. Where were you? A response that just puts into perspective for Job 
his place in creation. It is not, it is not up to or it has nothing to do with Job whether the sun rises or not. And Job gets a reality check. Sometimes we need those things, don't we? Sometimes we all need a dose of humility. I'm an Alabama football fan. That makes up for the fact that I'm also a Washington fan. But the other week, Alabama got a dose of humility. And they needed that. They can't think that every time they walk into the stadium, they're going to blow the other people away. We all need that. And Job received that. And today, today we hear about this conversation between Jesus, James, and John. Now, before I get into this conversation, I want to give us a little bit of perspective here. Because we don't talk a lot about James and John. So James and John are brothers. The scripture is very clear to tell us that they are brothers. They are sons of Zebedee. That doesn't mean too much to us in 2021. But the fact that it's written there means that the first people to hear this, it meant a lot. Zebedee must have been a person of power, of influence, of prestige, or of honor within the community. People knew that they were sons of Zebedee. They didn't have to claim that. Other people named that for them. That's important to this story. They were also some of the first people that Jesus called to be his disciples. According to Mark's gospel, they're third and fourth. They are two of the people to whom Jesus said, follow me and I will teach you to fish for people. Because they were fishermen. They were fishermen who left their boats, their families, their everything they knew, their worlds, and followed Jesus, went off on this adventure. And we are now in the 10th chapter of Mark. In the 11th chapter of Mark, Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem. So they have been with Jesus for three years, about. That's what, th what scholars believe his ministry was about, a three-year ministry. And so in that time, they have heard Jesus' teachings. They have seen how Jesus' compassion compelled him to help people. They have watched him heal people and bring people back into the community for which they had been ostracized. They knew of his deep compassion for the people and of his power. They have also been two of the three people who have witnessed what we call the transfiguration. Because it was Peter, James, and John that Jesus took to the mountain when he went up to the top and he suddenly began glowing. And Moses and Elijah showed up on his right and his left. 
And they heard the word from the cloud say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. They were in all of that, which also means that they already would have had an inkling that Moses and Elijah were already on Jesus's left and right, and they were trying to take those spots. They thought they deserved those spots. And so in this scripture, Jesus gives them an experience of humility. You don't get to these places of greatness without being a servant. Just as Jesus modeled, Jesus never went looking for the crowds. He never went and said, he didn't walk into a town and say, where's the biggest mic? Where's the biggest pulpit? I want to be there. I've got something to say. The crowds found him as he walked on back roads and went to far, far away places, places that weren't where the powerful religious people were. Because Jesus knows what's going to happen in Jerusalem. And to really put this story where it falls in Mark's gospel, we are actually reading Mark's gospel in order right now. So this comes right after last week's gospel reading of Jesus and the rich man, where the rich man has been told he needs to give everything away. And then they get... A short, there's a short piece that doesn't make this um, scripture, but it's Jesus tells them again, it's not the first time he said it, that the Son of Man will be handed over to the authorities, will be killed and will rise again on the third day. It doesn't tell us if, if James or John understood that, but there's a general theme through Mark's gospel that the disciples are not smart. They frequently, if not always, miss the point. And so this is like, like last week I said, God bless Peter, because he puts his foot in his mouth again. Well, this time James and John get a chance to put their foot in their mouth by asking for this special privilege. And interestingly, this story is also in Matthew's gospel. But in Matthew's gospel, their mother goes to Jesus and asks for this privilege. Just an interesting family dynamic. Shows you how much power mama thought she had. But the message is clear. If we want to be great, if we want to be disciples of Christ, if we are wanting to follow God, then we need to be the servant that Jesus was in his life. It is not about a seat of power. It is not about, about showing off. It is about being willing to take the last seat at the table or the last seat at the kids' table. It is about being willing, as Jesus did in the upper room, to put on the 
on the towel and the apron and wash the feet of the others. It is about serving. So when we look as a congregation about who we are meant to be, we need to remember that our call is mission. Our call is to be helping those who are in need, which means that we have to see them and we have to hear the need or else we live in our own little bubbles where everything is about us and our issues. But we're not called to stay in those bubbles. We are called to reach out and listen to where the need is. Listen for the systems that have prevented others from reaching even a level of sustainability. We need to listen to those who are pushed to the outsides of our society, who are not welcome. And the reality of the church is that the church has always wanted to be the one who said who was in and who was out. We have taken that privilege and we have said, you are welcome and you are not. And that was not ours to do. The Spirit is moving, folks. And we are being called to love all people without exception. To welcome all people without exception. To be the Good Samaritan who doesn't walk past the need but is willing to help. This is who we are. This is who we are called to be. This is the new way of being that the Spirit is drawing us to. To be the ones who share Christ's love. May it be so. Amen.